On that day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even wind and sea obey him? Father, we thank you for the opportunity to uh, get a glimpse of your glory this morning. Father, we thank you that you are uh, the God of this universe, that Lord, when you speak, Uh, whatever it is you speak is done. Uh, Lord, we thank you that you command disease, that you have command over death, that you have command over resurrection, over life, over natural disasters, over relationship problems, over church problems, over finances, over currencies, over uh, the fiscal cliff. God, we are so thankful, God, that you have command over everything in this universe. And Lord, we we lift you up on high. We praise you as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We want to submit ourselves to you. God, we want to be more fearful of you than we are of anything else in this world. Father, help us to rest in, in a confidence in your care over our lives. Lord, please help us not to be fearful, but to be people of faith. And I pray that you'd speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, this passage is uh, first and foremost a demonstration of the glory of Jesus Christ. I don't want us to miss that. I think we would be wrong when we jump into the other part of the passage talking about kind of our own fears and uh, how to settle those fears, how to live in, in faith and not fear. Uh, I think if we just jumped right to there, uh, but we forgot about the big picture here, which the big picture here is that, that Jesus commands the universe, okay? That, that's really the, the big picture. That's what's being communicated, I think, in this parable in this act that Jesus commands sickness to flee. He did that in chapters 1 and 2 and 3. Jesus commands the demons to flee. He did that in the last chapter. He's going to do that in the next passage in chapter 5. Jesus commands uh, death and resurrection. He commands the winds and the waves. I mean, the most powerful natural forces in our world. When you think about it, it really is winds and waves. I mean, we're, we're not strangers to tornadoes. We have seen that before. Uh, you saw hurricanes on TV. Maybe you've been in one. Um, we've saw tsunamis. Man, tsunamis just, you know, take, God just takes the water and just crumples cities, you know. I mean, the, the most powerful natural forces known to man. And Jesus commands them with the word, okay. That, that's kind of the big picture here is just the revelation of Jesus' awesome power and command over all of the universe, okay. However, I, I do think there, there's something specific here that, that God wants us to, to, to understand about our own response to that, okay? So we can know that, but then how do we practically respond to that on a day-to-day basis? And I think that's really where we want to get to today. And I, I believe that, that that's on the heart of, of, of God and of Christ and of the writers of the gospel, simply because Jesus could have done this another way, you know? I mean, just to show his power over all the universe, you know what he could have done? He could have, he could, there could have been a, an, a, an incredible storm, you know, it's hitting the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus could have said, all right, 
right, guys, bundle up. Let's go, you know. And they could have all kind of walked out in the storm, you know, across the beach. And he could have stood there at the edge with the waves just rolling up on the beach. And he could have just spoke and it all would have been silent. And he could have shown his command over all of nature. Could not he have done that? I mean, that would have been very easy for him to do in the sense of that would have been just as impressive a show of his power and might to do it that way, okay? Or to do it while they were in the village, you know? I mean, they could have been in the village and uh, storms coming through. I mean, they could have, he could have done this in a lot of different ways, but the way that he chooses to do this, the way that God orchestrates this, is that the disciples are in the middle of the Sea of Galilee in a boat, okay? Uh, struggling against the oars, water's pouring into the boat, the boat's going down, it's beginning to sink, and then their response of fear is what, what, what awakens Jesus. He does the miracle, and then he says these words at the end of it. Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Okay? And so, so I think really the, the, where we need to get to today as we look at this is not only seeing the glory of Jesus in, in the manifestation of his power, but then how, how, does that, how does that impact us on a daily level in regards to our faith, to our frustration, to our anxiety, to our worries, to our stressed outness. I mean, how, how does it impact that? Because it's got to impact that. Yeah, I mean, I mean that, that's why I think he put him out in the middle of the lake and showed him this. Because he, it, your response to Jesus' glory is really important. And, and, the, and the fact of the matter is, there's just a lot of fear in our world, isn't there? Probably a lot more than we admit. Uh, we don't like to talk about fear, really. Uh, but there's a lot of fearful things in our world. There's a lot of fearful people in our world. There's just a lot of things to be afraid of. Hey, here's my list. I made this list last night. Okay, you ready? A lot of things to be afraid of. Cancer, car wrecks, change, getting robbed, getting fired, terrorists, murderers, moving, your kids on drugs, your kids failing, your kids being hurt or stolen or damaged or humiliated. You can be afraid of being alone, betrayed. Fearful of adultery, getting old, getting hurt, death, drowning, flying, falling, failing, afraid of looking stupid, of being laughed at, afraid of burglars in the night, afraid of the fiscal cliff, afraid of funerals for those we love, heart attacks, strokes, emphysema, afraid of hell, of the judgment of God, the wrath of God coming down upon your sins forever and ever, afraid of eternity, afraid of liars, con men, drunks, bullies, fools, Afraid of being made a fool, becoming a fool. Afraid of accidents, of saws and guns and water and elevators and closed-in spaces. Motorcycles, demons, darkness. Afraid of always being afraid. Uh, that's my short list there. There's a lot of things to be afraid of, isn't there? Uh, and, and, you know, some of that stuff may not bother you. Some of it may. Uh, some of it bothers somebody. I guarantee people are afraid of a lot of things. And, and here's the thing. Here, here's the thing. Throughout the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, we get, this, we get this refrain coming at us that God does not want his people to be afraid. I mean, I mean that, that's just that's, that's, that's constant through the scriptures. God does not want you to be afraid. He does not want you to be a fearful people. Because of who he is, you should not be fearful. You should be throttled back in your anxiety and your stress and your fear. But, but here's the deal. The answer to, to, to fear is faith in Christ, who he is, his character. In fact, many times, Jesus is the one who actually will lead us into those situations where there's scary stuff. Um, verse 35, I think, is a significant verse. Look at it in your Bibles. On, the, on that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And by the other side, he means the other side of the lake. 
You know, so, I mean, here's the first truth is whose idea was it to get in the boat at nighttime and row across the lake? It was Jesus' idea, okay? I mean, this wasn't their idea. They were probably tired. They were all exhausted. Jesus is so exhausted, he's asleep in the boat. They're probably all exhausted. They probably just wanted to take a nap. But Jesus is the one who said, guys, we're going to get in the boat and we're going to go across to the other side. Jesus initiated the, 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 the situation that brought about fear in, in their lives. Now, I, I think, I don't know about what you, what you would say about yourself, but I know what I would say about myself. It's a common occurrence for my stupidity to get me into difficult, trying, and fearful situations, all right? That happens all the time. I, I don't have any trouble with that. I, I, many times, because of my choices, because of my, my, my sin, because of my lack of wisdom, I can get myself into difficult spots, into trying spots, into scary spots, into stressful spots. That's very true, okay? But that's not the case here, okay? We're, we're not actually talking about that situation. This situation is when you find yourself in a bad situation uh, of really no choice of your own, but you're trying to follow Jesus. You're trying to do what God wants you to do. You're trying to be a good dad. You're trying to be a good mom. You're trying to be a good employee. You're You're trying to live the Christian life and you find yourself in a fearful situation. And there's lots of those in the Bible. I mean, why did Moses find himself pinned in between the Red Sea and the charging Egyptian army? Man, God led him there. I mean, I mean, he was following God every step of the way. Why did David find himself on, on the battlefield facing a giant? It was, it was the will of God. Why, why did Peter find himself in prison for preaching the gospel? He's doing what God told him to do. Why did Paul find himself being dragged out of the city and stoned and, you know, outside the gates? It's because he was doing exactly what God had called him to do. And so there's just a lot of times times in life where you're doing just what God called you to do, but that leads you into a stressful, fearful, anxiety producing situation. Okay. And that's exactly what happens here. The disciples find themselves in this, this situation because they followed Jesus into it. I think it is very unbiblical to, to have some kind of theology that we convince ourselves that if we just do everything right, we won't have trials. You, you, ever, you ever find yourself thinking that way? You know, if we just, just cover all our bases, you know, if we, if we just make sure, you know, that we, uh, we do everything right and we say everything right and we're always where we're supposed to be and, and we always put our seatbelt on and we always wear our life jacket and we always, you know, we always do all the things that we're supposed to do, that that's going to keep us out of trying situations. It's just not true. Um, it's just not true. And some people have that kind of theology. If I just do it, if I do everything right, then I won't ever find myself in one of these situations. That's not true. I mean, there are times where God will actually, you're following Jesus and you find yourself in one of these frightening situations. Um, sometimes it's just because, you know what? Sometimes the right thing is just hard. Uh, we live in a sinful world. Uh, we're going against the grain. And so sometimes to do the right thing is going to put you right smack dab in the middle of a hard situation. Sometimes I think it's, it's, to, it's Christ is showing us his power. Sometimes I think he's, he's teaching us to trust him. He's showing us who he is. Okay. And so wh- whatever the reason, the disciples find themselves in a storm. Okay. Waves are breaking into the boat. Okay, that's a bad sign. I don't know a lot about boats. I've, I've been on boats before. I don't, I don't know a lot about them. I wish Gary Fewen was here today because he's got a great boat story. I might have even brought him up. And uh, if, you, if you know Gary, I mean, it's, just, it's worth your time to have him tell you about his boat story. And uh, Carrie was a part of almost drowning her dad. And uh, it's, just, it's a great story. But anyway, I don't have a lot of experience on boats. But I do know this. When water is going inside the boat, that's not a good sign. Okay, when, 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 when the boat is filling up on the inside 
tub with water. That's bad. You need to stop that. If it goes on indefinitely, you're not going to have a boat anymore. You're going to have a submarine, right? I mean, I, I know that much about boats. And it says that the boat was filling with water. It says that in verse 37, the boat was already filling. So there's water filling in. The waves are breaking over. This is a bad situation. Look, these guys weren't inexperienced sailors, you know? I mean, I think if I got in a boat across the Sea of Galilee, I might not know, are we really in danger or not, you know? I might just be panicky. Uh, I might just not be useful, used to what sailing is about. Four of these guys were professional fishermen on the Sea of Galilee. The boat they're in is probably one of their boats, all right? I mean, these guys did this every day of their life. Okay, they, they, know, they know what it's like on the sea. They know what it's like to be in a boat. They know how to handle a boat. So obviously, this is an extraordinary trial, okay? That's what I'm telling you. This is not just like your ordinary, man, we had bad weather today. This is like catastrophic, we're going to die, okay? These guys have been out there before. They've experienced storms before, and they're convinced, man, we're going to die. We're going to perish. That, that's the word they use is we are perishing. We're about to die. And what's Jesus doing in the midst of all this? I, I, this has got to be significant, okay? Look at what's happened in verse 38. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. Now, why is Jesus asleep? And, and this is one of those questions that I ask you, and I don't know the exact answer to it. Um, I think, I think I, I, I'm going to give you a couple answers that I think are all true. There's sometimes where there's more than one answer that's true. But I, I know it has to have significance, you know? Uh, that Jesus is asleep in the boat while these guys are, are, are panicking and flailing and, 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 and feeling like they're perishing, okay? Now, what is this significance? Well, a couple things. Um, first of all, Jesus was exhausted. Uh, I, I think that's true. Uh, he'd been ministering all day. He's been preaching all day. Uh, he's been dealing with people, people, people all day. I think one of the reasons they don't walk around the lake, they, they go across on a boat, is just for him to get away from, from the people for a little bit. Uh, I, I think he's exhausted. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 tells us, a cool thing about Jesus' earthly life. It says, we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Man, you've not experienced things that Jesus didn't, you know? I mean, I know a lot of times we want to think, man, you know, I just have it harder than everybody else, and my, my lot in life is more difficult, and my struggles, and my sickness, and my weakness, and my fatigue, and the pressures that are on me. Man, I tell you, Hebrews says, look, Jesus experienced it all. You know, not, not, not the exact things, but as far as pressure, stress, all, all, all the things that crush us, Jesus experienced all of that, yet without sin. To the end, he never gave in, he never, he never backed off, he never came to a point where he bailed out. Je- Jesus experienced it all, and so, you know, it could have been he was just absolutely flat out exhausted, and, and he, just, he just crashed, okay? Uh, or, could, could the significance be that maybe Jesus is a picture of how we're all supposed to walk through life, you know? Maybe, maybe Jesus, because he is the perfect man, right? And because the Bible tells us he, he is the example of what, what we ought to be. Man, maybe we ought to be more like that, you know? Able just to curl up in the boat and say, man, I'm in God's hands. And, you know, oh, there's a storm. God will, God will take care of it one way or another. You know, man, maybe we ought to be more like that. More able to, to sleep in the boat 
instead of, I think, I think some of us are, are the guy who's, you know, right away when the storm's coming up, hey, I think there's a little wind. Hey, you know, what should we do about this? Who's got the oars? Are there life jackets? Where's the lifeboat? You know, how do we steer this thing? How far are we from the shore? You know, some of you guys are that guy, right? I mean, you're just flipped out, you know, all the time, just wearing yourself out, you know, with everything. And maybe, maybe Jesus here is giving us a great example of maybe how we ought to maybe go through life a little bit more just resting in the Father's hands. You know, there's so many things that we can't control anyway, and we're just in God's hands, not that we don't do what we should do or are called to do. But, but maybe that's a picture of just trusting Christ, um, resting in God, resting in, in, in the Father's care over us. So it could be that. Um, number three, uh, maybe Jesus' slumber was simply this. Maybe it was simply a strategic opportunity for the disciples to either trust him or doubt him. You know, I mean, God does that. Doesn't God test our faith? I mean, yeah, all the time. In fact, Peter tells us that, that a tested faith is a really precious thing. You know, you open up your Bibles and you see instances like God telling Abraham, hey, take your son, take him up on the top of the mountain, bring some wood, bring some fire, and I want you to sacrifice him up there. You know, your son that you've waited for 24 years to get, your son that, that all the hope of the promises rest upon, I want you to take him up on the mountain. And I mean, God does that, right? God, God at times puts us in situations in which our faith is tested. You know, we got to see what are we made of? here you know do we really trust him do we really do we genuinely have faith i mean there are times where god just puts us in those situations that either show us yes you got faith or man you don't you know you you, you need to work on your faith you need you need your faith needs to grow i mean there are times where god simply tests us in those areas so which one of those is it exhausted He's a picture of how we ought to just trust God through life. Is it simply a strategic opportunity of testing? I would say yes. It's all of those. I think it's all. I don't, I, don't, I don't see how we eliminate any of those, and I don't see how any of those is not true, okay? And so what I would say is, why is Jesus resting? Yep, all those reasons are probably why he is resting in the boat, okay? So, disciples find themselves in this horrible trial, battered by wind and waves, boats filling up with water. Uh, it's looking really bad, and Jesus is... Not doing anything. He's not doing anything. Let me ask you, do you ever feel that way? I think you do, uh, right? Do you ever feel like, man, I'm in this hard thing and, and I've prayed and I've prayed and I'm still in this hard thing? And, and I've prayed and I've prayed and my church is praying and I'm still in this hard thing. You ever feel that way? You ever feel like, you know... It's tough. It's difficult. I'm in a trial. I feel like I'm perishing. And it doesn't feel like God is doing anything. Um, That's exactly where they're at, okay? And that leads them. That's going to lead you to a couple different things, okay? That leads them to a really dangerous thing. Okay, here's where we need a warning signs need to come off. Don't do this, okay? Here's what it leads the disciples to do. It leads the disciples to assume that Jesus does not care. That's, That's exactly where they go, doesn't it? Look at verse 38. But he was in the stern asleep on the cushion as they woke him. He said to them and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Okay. Do you not care that we're perishing? That's a dangerous assumption. That's a dangerous temptation, actually. Well, you know, you know what's behind that? What's behind that is the very first temptation of mankind. Remember our first parents, Adam and Eve? Well, how did Satan go after them? Satan went after them to try to plant the seed that, you know what? God's really not looking after you very well, is he? You know what? God's holding back some stuff. There's better stuff out there that he's not giving you. God, God's, not, God's holding back something good from you. He doesn't have your best interests in mind. 
That's exactly where Satan targeted our first parents. And you know what? I think it's a very dangerous temptation for us in the middle of a trial to assume that Jesus does not care. To assume that he's not looking after us, that he, he's, he's, not, he's not taking care of us. Now, now, probably most of us would not just verbalize that. There's a lot of things that we won't verbalize, but we still kind of think, right, or we're tempted with. I think most of us wouldn't say, you know, in our prayer, God, I don't think you care about me. I mean, maybe, maybe you have before uh, in a time of, of frustration or despair. But you, you know what we do do a lot? We take a posture. Here, here's what I would call this. We take a posture of despair, okay? All right, these guys are despairing so much so they wake him. Don't you even care about us, Okay. Sometimes we don't say that, but you know what, so you know what we do sometimes? Sometimes we, we, may, we have this posture of despair. We have this posture of, you know, it's all over and not, nothing's good. And my life's ruined and, you know, it, uh, it's just a complete failure. It's all a bust. You ever, you ever get there? You ever, you ever jump to that, you know? You, you ever have it's that all bad position? You ever have a little hopeless huffing? You know what hopeless huffing is, right? You know, it's a, you know, and it's just, you know, it's all bad. It's all bad. You know, nobody's taking care. You know, this, I've prayed and I've tried and it's frustrating. I can't get anywhere. And it's all over. I'm about to give up. That's exactly where these guys are. I mean, maybe you're not actually voicing to God. I don't think you care about me. I don't think you're looking after me. I don't think you're doing a very good job here. Maybe we won't say that. But don't we sometimes, with our attitude, isn't that what we're saying? I think it is. I think it's what I do sometimes. That's, that's a dangerous thing. Um, it's a dangerous thing because there's a connection between that attitude and our faith. Okay, um, Look at verse 40. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Man, do you see the strong connection there? You know, in your minds, I'd just like for you to draw a little line. This kind of helps me between fear and faith, okay? There's a line between those two. Uh, those two are connected. Je- I-, I didn't do that. Jesus connected them right there, didn't he? You know, he said, man, you guys are falling apart here. You know, you're despairing. You have this hopeless attitude. You've hit the panic button. You, you, you've started to doubt God's care. And, and the reason is, is because you're, you're, you're fearful because there's a lack of faith. There, there, there's something going on with your faith that's fueling that attitude in you, that, that fearfulness in you. So here's what I'd like for us to look at just for a second here. What's the relationship between fear and faith? I mean, obviously there's one. Uh, fear, fear seems to take root when there is a lack of faith, right? Um, th- think about faith for a second. Faith is, is, we use lots of definitions here. One of the ones we use a lot is uh, faith is believing that Jesus is who he says he is and that he'll do what he says he'll do, okay? Um, that's what faith is. It's embracing the, the, the glory, the person of Jesus Christ and all that he has promised for us. It's saying, man, I believe that. I'm holding on to that. That's going to that's gonna shape my attitude. That's going to shape my disposition. That's going to shape my posture toward life is what I believe about God, what I believe about Christ. And so, so, so fear increases when we become convinced that Jesus is either not what we thought he was or he's not doing the job we think he, that he's supposed to be doing or that he's forgotten about it or he's not willing to help, or he won't do the best thing, or he's not really good. I mean, that those things are going to fuel fear in our life. But listen, if you're a born-again believer, if you're indwelt by the Spirit of God, if you're connected to the all-powerful, all-knowing, almighty Jesus, then, then there must be a rejection of who Jesus is or what he promised for fear to take root. 
I mean, if, if we believe that about ourselves, I'm connected to Christ. I mean, all the promises of God are mine. And the Spirit of God dwells in me. Okay, in, in order for, for me, having embraced all of that, to fall into despair and hopelessness and fear, then there's got to be somewhat of a letting go of who Jesus is or who we thought he was or who we think he is. Now, now, let me, I just got to be real careful here. I wish I had lots of time to just kind of unpack this. You know, I, I understand there, there's, there's, roller, there's ups and downs in our emotions. I understand there's a lot of things that affect kind of our, our, our disposition, our posture, what we say. I understand all of that. But, but really, you can't get away from the root of the fact that, that, that fear and faith are connected. I, see, I just don't think we like to think that way. You know, I, I think we like to have our pity party and throw our fit and still say, no, my faith is strong. <laughs> well, I, it's, not, it's not showing itself like it's supposed to show itself. Okay? Think about how faith is fueled. Faith, faith is fueled by seeing more and more of the greatness of Jesus. Okay? That's, that's why the Word of God is so important in your faith because we, we have to continually be in God's Word, be in the revelation of who Jesus is, embracing that on a continual basis for our faith to be strengthened and strengthened, okay? Um, listen to this. When the Bible addresses fear, it doesn't ever say, don't fear because bad things won't happen to you. You're a Christian. It never says that. You know, the Bible doesn't say, hey, don't fear because... You know, there really isn't evil in this world, and so you, there's really nothing to fear. No, it doesn't say that. It, it never says, don't fear because, you know what, if you're a Christian, God's going to give you a comfortable life. Just just obey Him and make sure you go to church all the time, and, and then you're going to be fine. No, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't say anything like that. You know what it says? It says, don't fear because of the character of God. Okay, that, that's the reason you don't fear. You don't fear because of who God is, Okay. Yeah, there, there's no promises that you're not going to be thrust into the storm. There's no promises that water's not going to fill the boat. There's no promises the boat's not going to begin to sink. There's no promises of any of that. But here is the reason you don't fear. You don't fear because of who God is and who he is to you. That's why you don't fear. Let me give you some great examples of this, okay? Isaiah 41.10. If you struggle with fear and anxiety in your life, memorize Isaiah 41.10. Maybe, in my estimation, the greatest verse... As far as fear and anxiety in the Bible. Okay, here it is. Ready? Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Are you, are you looking at that? Isn't that a great verse? Man, don't fear. You know, don't be dismayed. You know what it means to be dismayed, right? You know, despairing, hopeless, you know. Now, why? Why? Why, why shouldn't we not? Is there a promise that things are going to get easy and better? No, there's not that promise. Why, why, not, why not fear? Why not be dismayed? God is our God. He will strengthen us. He will uphold us. He will help us. Okay, the, the, those, those are the things that, 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 that fuel our, 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 our rock-solid hopefulness in God. Listen to some more of them. These are all in Isaiah. Isaiah 41, 14. Fear not, you worm, Jacob. God calls people worms sometimes. Um, and, you know, there's a great picture there. It's, it's our smallness, isn't it? And God's bigness, okay? Fear not, you worm, Jacob, you men of Israel. I am the one who helps you, declares the Lord. Your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. Why should you not fear? Because your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. Isaiah 44, uh, 8. 44, 8. Fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from of old and declared it? Are you, 
and you are my witnesses? Is there a God besides me? There is no rock. I know not any. I said, don't be afraid. Why? Man, there's nobody like me. (laughs) You know, there's nobody that's my equal. There's no other rock. You're on the rock. You're standing on the rock. Don't fear because of who God is, because of his character. I think Jesus is a little frustrated, by the way, with his disciples here. If you read in verse 40, he says, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Do you see that still? You know, you see that word there? What does that mean? Guys, you should have got this already. Why should they have got this already? Well, (laughs) they've just been watching Jesus he commands sick people to be well. They've been watching his authority over the supernatural. They've been watching him cast out demons from people. They've been watching him raise dead people. Okay, And Jesus is like, guys, come on. Don't you get who I am? Don't you get who's in the boat with you? I mean, you see, the problem was they got to see Jesus in the right way. I think the biggest factors when we're frightened in a frightening situation, it's not the circumstances of our situation. It's, it's really, what do we believe about Jesus? You know, I, I kind of look at it, and I don't know if this is the right way to look at it, but, you know, like, look, we all have this kind of faith threshold, you know? I mean, how, 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 my picture of Jesus gets me so far, okay, in, in the trying situations of life, right? And, and, and I, you know, they, they, they hit their limit right here, okay? Um, but but here, here's where I look at it. Get, God's plan for his children is a restful confidence in him. You know, do you agree with that? That's God's plan. I mean, how often in the Bible do you see, you know, peace I give to you, my peace I, I put on you? I mean, throughout the epistles, Paul starts out with grace and peace to you in Christ Jesus. You know, I mean, there's always this, this God's meant for you to be at rest. God's meant for you to be at peace. You know, the fruits of the Spirit are, are things like joy and, and peace, okay? Um, hope. I mean, you're, you're supposed to have those things in Christ. Your connection with Jesus Christ should lead you to have that kind of disposition in life where you're, you're at rest, where, where you've got lots of hope, where you've got joy, even in trials, where you've got peace. You have this shalomness about you, okay? Where, where you're really, you're not caught up in anxiety. You know, Philippians 4, 6, we're commanded, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 25, he, he, he said, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life or what you'll eat or what you'll drink or your body or what you'll put on it. I mean, I mean, there's these commands in the Bible that says you're not to be this way. You're not to be all twisted up all the time. And all of those things come from our connection to Christ. And so here, here's, the, here, here's the deal, okay? If, if, if your threshold is not very far at all, okay, man, that, that says something about your confidence in Jesus, you know? If you wake up in the morning and the coffee pot's broke and, uh, you know, the cat got into the Christmas tree and uh, the, the paper boy threw your paper and the truck's run over it, you know, and, and, and the kids aren't ready and there's a fight in the car, and man, that's it, you know? I mean, boom, you're, you crossed your limit. And I mean, you are despairing and you're asking God to take you home on the way to school. You know, life's not worth living. It's just too bad. I mean, okay, there's, there's a faith. Honestly, there's a faith problem, isn't there? And I, I, I'm talking to myself, okay? I mean, if that's our faith limit, if our confidence in God and our trust in His sovereignty and his power of all things, if, if, if 
crumpled up newspapers and fighting kids, if that's what pushes us over, man, we need to bolster our trust in Jesus. And some of you say, well, that's not me, Pastor. You know, I, I got more than that. You know, I mean, man, I tell you what, flat tires and, you know, and, and, and those kind of struggles, that, that doesn't push me over. Uh, what about the big stuff, though? See, man, I can, I, can, I can cling to Jesus through a flat tire and the disobedience of a difficult child and the pressure of deadlines and demanding boss. I still cling to Jesus. I still got hope. I'm still restful in him. But, man, here's, here's what kind of scares me about me. What about, what about when the big waves start crashing? What about when water starts filling the boat? What about when it looks like that you're going down? Your kids are going down. Your marriage is going down. That's hard, isn't it? It's hard to still hold on to Christ and say, look, I know he's in control. I know, I know he's not going to let me down. I know he's going to carry me. During those times, I think a couple things have to be present. We've got to know, first of all, that Jesus has not forgot about us. You ever feel that way? That, okay, maybe he's got all power, but I don't think he's paying attention to my life. I love this. Isaiah 49. Verse 14. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. That's the way they felt. God's forgotten us. Here's what God says. He says, can a woman forget her nursing child? That she should have no compassion on the son of her womb. Man, that just doesn't happen, does it? Moms just don't forget about their nursing children. Sometimes they try to forget about their teenagers. But this says specifically, nursing child. Nursing child. They don't, man. They're they're hypersensitive. Man, I, I got up this morning about five. My wife was sawing logs. I mean, I took a shower. I, I turned on the light. I, I got dressed. I banged around. Nothing. Nothing. No movement. Sawing logs. When, when she had a nursing baby, though, she's there, man. They don't forget. But listen. Verse 15. Even these may forget. I've never seen one. But it's possible, right? It's possible. Mom walks out of Walmart, goes home, starts supper, cleans up, watching TV. (gasps) The baby! It's in the cart! You know, it's possible. It's possible. Not likely, but possible. Look what he says. Yet I will not forget you. Behold, I've, en- I've engraved you on the palms of my hands and your walls are continually before me. It's, it's just not possible. God's not going to forget you, okay? Right there in the Word. He's not forgot. He's not, he's not unaware of your situation, okay? Number one, He knows. Number two, He's good, okay? He's good. He's good and He does good. Man, I know that sometimes that's hard to see. I was thinking about examples in the Bible. Man, how'd you like to have been Joseph, you know? I mean, talk about feeling forgotten, you know? Family thinks you're dead. Your brothers want you dead. 
He sold into slavery, you're in a foreign country. You did a good job for your master. You got lied about. Now you're in prison. Man, can you imagine five, six years into that deal? Man, could, didn't, how did he not think, man, I am forgotten. God had not forgotten him. Oh, no, no, no. God was moving all the pieces into place to do this incredible thing. You know, I asked myself this question. Um, what, what, what would faith in a violent storm look like? You know, I, I mean, I, I, I kind of want to give the disciples some credit here. I mean, what should they exactly have done? I, I think they still should have woke him up. I, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure that waking him up was the bad thing. I think that, that the falling apart, we're perishing, you know, you don't care about us. I think that's the bad part. So, you know, what, what does it actually look like? And I thought, I mean, I wish we knew that. I wish we saw the right picture of this, you know. Um, and, and, and maybe we do. Maybe we do not in the disciples. Maybe in the book of Acts, you know. Paul, the apostle Paul was in a, in a shipwreck. Did you know that? He's in a violent storm that lasted for days. And, and listen, listen to this, okay. I'm going to start reading in 21. I think the screens will pick it up around 24 or so. Since, since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Sometimes it's okay to say, I told you so. Evidently, Paul did. Uh, Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I've been told. We must run aground on some island. Now, it's just kind of cool. Paul's the encourager in the shipwreck, you know? I mean, man, everybody else has lost hope. Even the sailors have lost hope. They all think they're going to die. And Paul's like, no, 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 nobody's going to die. God's God's told me, God's promised me. Nobody's going to. Now, we're going to crash, <laughs> you know? We're going to crash into a reef, and the ship's going to break apart, and we're all going to be dumped into the ocean, and we're going to have to swim for it, but we're all going to live, you know? Uh, That's a, that's a pretty good way of having faith. I mean, yeah, he's not despairing. He's not falling apart. He's the encourager in the situation. He's hoping in God. He, he's repeating the promises of God. Now, I know what you're going to say to that. You're going to say, well, okay, but Paul had, a, had, Paul had a promise, okay? He had a specific promise from God of how it was going to turn out. We don't always have that. We don't always have a promise from God that our loved one won't die or that we're, our company will stay afloat or that our marriage will be saved. We don't have any specific promises like that. And that's true. I agree with that. But, but do we not also still have promises? We do, I think. Romans eight twenty nine, Romans eight twenty eight. God works all things together for good to those who love him who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. God's going to take us all the way. Isaiah 41, 10, don't fear, I'm with you. I'll uphold you, I'll strengthen you, I'll help you. Those are promises, aren't they? Aren't those to us? Can we claim those? Can we grab those? I think we can. You know, and I got to wrap with this because we're going to have communion, but maybe it's not having no fear. Maybe the bigger issue is fearing the right thing. Look, look, Look at how the passage ends, verse 41. Verse 41 says, And they were filled with great fear, and they said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and sea obey him? Okay, so after Jesus stills the storm, okay, so Jesus calms the storm, and, and, and everything goes completely calm. In fact, it, it's a really interesting thing how, if you read this very carefully. It says he awoke and he rebuked the wind. So he rebukes the wind, so it stops. And then he says to the sea, 
peace be still. You know, I never thought about this, but even after the wind stops, the waves are going to keep going, aren't they? You know, I mean, once the sea is turbulent, that's going to, that's going to keep up even after the wind stops. And so Jesus rebukes the wind and then he rebukes the sea. And it says there was a great calm that, that that's in verse 39. There was a great calm. So everything is, whew, you know, man, seas like glass, no wind boats, just nice and easy. But look at verse 41. They are filled with great fear. Okay, now why, why are they filled with great fear? They're not afraid of the ocean anymore. They're not, or the sea anymore. They're not afraid of the wind anymore. You know who they're afraid of? <laughs> they're afraid of this guy who commands the universe. And we just told him that he didn't care about us. <laughs> you know, may, maybe the biggest deal is for you and I to be in greater awe of God than we are our problems. Maybe, maybe, maybe we ought to have a bigger picture of, of, of the glory of Jesus than, than of the bigness of whatever we're going through in our life. Man, I tell you what, how encouraging, how comforting that Jesus speaks three words. Three words. If you'll notice those, peace, be still. That's all it takes.